Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Shall we jump into the word this morning together? Let's do that. Uh, Open your Bibles to Psalm 23. And we're going to look at this very familiar passage of scripture together this morning. We've been studying the life of David for several months. And I hope and I pray that his life has brought some encouragement to you as it has mine over the past months. Uh, I hope that as you've studied the life of David, your faith has been challenged and deepened as mine has over the last several months. And I want to say this, if you're studying the life of David right now, maybe you're new to it, you could spend a lifetime studying this one character in scripture and not begin to even plumb the depths of the riches of God's grace and mercy and loving kindness that's poured out over David through his life. You'd just be scratching the surface. So I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of our study, to go back and listen to those previous sermons. We have those on our podcast available for you. And maybe consider starting at the beginning again and just listening to them all over. Maybe like you would sit down to your favorite Netflix show or a good book, you could begin reading First and Second Samuel from start to finish in one sitting and study this man's life again afresh. There's so much to learn from David's life. This morning, we're looking at one of the most memorized, most familiar passages and psalms that David wrote, Psalm 23. It's a messianic psalm, which means that it points to Jesus. It's a psalm of David written toward the end of his 70 years on earth and his 40-year reign as king. Psalm 23 is a song written by a man who experienced the highest of highs and the very lowest of lows. It's written by a man who began his life at a very young age as a shepherd, looked down upon by his own family, looked down upon by the society of that time. It was written by a man who fled into caves, who resided in fields before he would ever lay his head in the comforts of a palace as king. This psalm is perhaps one of the most personal passages in all of the Bible, using the personal possessive pronouns, I, me, mine, 16 times in just 16 verses. So as we look to this psalm this morning, I want to challenge you guys to listen with open ears this morning. I want to challenge you to look at this text with open eyes and with a soft heart. And that's not something we're able to do alone. So I want to pray again and just invite the Spirit of God to breathe over his word this morning. Join me. Father, we thank you for your word that has been preserved throughout generation 
upon generation. We thank you for these words, Psalm 23, these words of David, a man after your own heart, that are written down for us to reflect upon, to remember, to rest in. And God, I pray that these words this morning would stir up affection, they would stir up assurance and comfort for those who are weary and hurting this morning. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Psalm 23 together as we open up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are the words of God. Amen. So disclaimers, let's get a few disclaimers out of the way before we really dig in. Let's keep in mind that Psalm 23 is a song. These are lyrics meant to be sung. We just read them, but David put these to a melody and we're actually meant to sing these. Now as a musician and an artist, I am in my happy place here, right? I'm throwing on my beanie, I'm putting on my sweater, I'm getting a cup of tea, I'm throwing a blanket on and lighting a candle and I'm like, yes, David, I'm with you. I wanna feel what you're feeling right now. It's because I'm wired that way, okay? Now I wanna realize that everyone doesn't connect with song lyrics and poetry like I do and that is okay. We're gonna get through this together this morning. So I wanna ask you though, if you're more of the left brain type, the more methodical and analytical type, I wanna ask you to turn the knob down on the right side of your brain just a little bit and then turn the knob on the creative side up just a little bit so that you might exercise that part of your brain. Can we do that? And then for you artists, for me, I'm gonna turn down the creative knob just a little bit and I'm gonna turn up the methodical and analytical knob because there's so much to learn from this song for both of us. All right, one more caveat before we dig in. What is with this shepherding language? Can we acknowledge that this is strange? Where we are in our context in Western America, in Edmond, Oklahoma, at face value, it doesn't really connect with us, right? especially for those who know very little about the Bible, about Christianity. This is particularly strange language to compare God with a shepherd. How many of you actually know a shepherd? How many of you have actually spent time with sheep? Know what they smell like? I haven't. And so let's just acknowledge that most of us haven't a clue. If we start there, we don't have a clue about what makes a good shepherd, right? We don't even know a shepherd. We do. Stay with me. We can put two and two together and say, well, a good shepherd probably knows how to keep his sheep alive, right? That would be a good thing. And probably knows how to turn a profit from his sheep. 
We might start there. Well, let's lean into this shepherding language. And I want to do that by asking a few questions. Question one, are you able to say with confidence and joy that the Lord, Father, Son, and Spirit is your shepherd? What does that really mean? Question two, does your life reflect commitment, rest, righteousness, peace, comfort, goodness, and mercy? Question three, what does a person's life look like under the good shepherd's care? So what are the signposts? In other words, if you are looking at somebody's life, what is it about them that gives off the aroma or the understanding that they're living their life under the share of a good shepherd? What are those signposts? We'll do our best to answer those as we dig in verse by verse. Also, I want to get this psalm out of the familiar fluff, out of that kind of funeral psalm that everybody knows. And I want to connect it with the New Testament. You guys, this is incredible. If anybody Googles Messianic Psalms this morning and begins a journey of learning how the Psalms actually point to Jesus, I will be stoked. So yes, let's dive in. I want to propose two attributes spelled out in Psalm 23 for the believer who has placed their full trust in the good shepherd. Two signposts that would help someone say with conviction that they indeed have a good shepherd. So for you note takers, it's gonna be assurance and it's gonna be comfort. And we're gonna look at the Psalm and break down verses one through four and verses four through six in these two categories, assurance and comfort. And as we do that, let's look at the characters in the Psalm. There are three of them. The shepherd, also known as Jesus, a shepherd of men and a king of kings. There's David, a man after God's own heart, also a shepherd made king. And there are enemies, those who are seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. Where does this Psalm take place? In all of life. David is an older man here reflecting on the end of his life, reflecting on the entirety of his life and what it's been like under the care of the good shepherd. And in such a beautiful way, he's looking back at his life as a young shepherd who was plucked out of the field and brought into the loving care and pasture of his good shepherd, Jesus. And all he can do at the end of his days is look back and just reflect on how well he was cared for. I've heard some pretty crazy stories about David up to this point. This, my friend, is a man articulating assurance and comfort the best way he knows how in the form of a song. I mentioned earlier that Psalm 23 is a messianic psalm, meaning it points to Jesus. You don't have to turn to these passages, but look at these two scriptures in the New Testament. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Who's the chief shepherd? It's Jesus. And Jesus speaking in John 10, 11, says this about himself, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. Some translations say, I have no need. We can sit here the rest of the morning. What a profound declaration. In these nine words, David says that he has everything he needs in the care of God. Declaring God as a good shepherd or as a shepherd is like saying, God is my manager. And I trust his direction more than anything else. Nothing is outside of you that I want or need. You have it all. You are my shepherd. Verse one is a powerful declaration of assurance. Oh, Father, how we desire this kind of assurance for our lives. Amen. This morning, some of us here today have very little assurance, maybe even no assurance that God is a good shepherd or manager. We don't see it that way. Maybe we look back at our lives, circumstances that we've faced. We look around at the world and what's going on right now. And we say, how can God be a good shepherd? It makes no sense. Or maybe we've been so analytical in our study of God, spending so much time just reading and reading and reading and listening to podcasts and reading that this way of describing God as a good shepherd, as somebody who cares deeply about you, is just lost on you. You have no way of connecting that information from your head to your heart. Psalm 23 is not some disconnected pie-in-the-sky lyric. David knew suffering. And he saw God's provision, direction, and protection over and over and over and over again in his life. As a shepherd himself, David knew what it looked like to care for suffering sheep. And as a king, he understood what it looked like to care for people. He was an archetype for another shepherd king. Jesus, too, knew suffering. He suffered more than any man ever could when he bore the wrath of God for the sins of every man. I want to encourage you sometime to read Psalm 22 this week in your own time. This is another messianic psalm that spells out the suffering of Christ on the cross and the victory that he now has over sin and death. King Jesus, the good shepherd, knows what it looks like to care for suffering sheep. Listen to these scriptures. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And again, in John 10, 11, we read this earlier, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse one is profound, and worthy of much study and reflection, we could sit here all morning, but we've got a whole psalm to get through. Let's continue to look at assurance. Verses two through four. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will have no fear. Those are words of assurance. Let's think about this from a shepherd's point of view for just a minute. 
A good shepherd knows what his sheep needs, a safe place to dwell. So the shepherd fences them in to protect them from predators and dangerous territory. He surveys the land and he chooses the best land with the best grass for feeding and a water source. He chooses land that's as free from thorns and thistle as possible so that the wool of his sheep don't get mangled and tangled and become worthless. As they need clean water to drink, did you know this about sheep? They will not drink from moving clean water on their own. If you left a sheep alone, the sheep would not go near it because they're afraid of moving water. So if left alone, a sheep would instead drink from parasitic mud puddles than drink from moving water. You can have a picture of a sheep stuck in a mud puddle. Sheep would rather drink from this because of his fear of moving water. A good shepherd knows this about his sheep. So you know what they do? They lead them beside still water to drink from. We got another picture of sheep there. Friends, how much are we like sheep? Drinking from dirty mud puddles when Jesus offers us living water. Returning to sinful desires and lusts only to find them dirty and hurtful and unsatisfying. Friends, we will surely die drinking from these puddles. But Jesus offers us life. Look at Revelation twenty-two seventeen. It says this, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is Jesus beckoning us to clean living water. Did you know that sheep will not lie down unless four requirements are met? This is fascinating. Philip Keller, a shepherd by trade and a lay pastor, writes in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, the sheep will not lie down unless they are free of all fear. Sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with one another or other animals. Sheep will not lie down if flies and parasites are tormenting them. And sheep will not lie down if they're hungry and thirsty. They'll just continue to wander. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. Takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? So David understood what it takes to make sheep lie down. We consider these things, right? And as one of God's sheep, David knew the good shepherd's provision, protection, and communion through this psalm. He's lying down in the care of his shepherd, our Lord. We too can know the good shepherd Jesus' provision, protection, and communion. Look back over that list again. Free of fear, free of friction, free of torment, free of hunger and thirst. These are promises that we have in Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. He delivers us from all fear. 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This is Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us a spirit, what? Not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. He delivers us from fear. He shows us how to resolve our friction with sin and with others through his word. James 119 through 20 offers this advice. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Oh, that we would heed to these words right now, especially in this time, especially this week as elections are upon us. 1 John 1, 9, about our sin, our friction with sin. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is good news. Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Don't you want to follow that shepherd? Sin and disease will not torment us. He forgives our iniquity, our sins, and heals all our diseases. Psalm 103, 3. And again, he gives us the bread of life and living water so that we might lie down. John 7, 37. These are Jesus's words. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is good shepherd language. Look at your Bible again in verses two through four. Scan these verses with me. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. He does it. He does it. He does it. It's a good shepherd. Assurance in a good shepherd. Surely we can lie down in this green pasture when we find the assurance of provision, protection, and communion with Jesus. Let's look at the second signpost, comfort. We'll read verses four through six. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are comfort words, aren't they? And what powerful words from David as he's ending, as he's nearing the end of his days on earth and nearing the end of his time as an earthly king. In this moment, he's acknowledging with honesty the valley of the shadow of death. And this isn't the first time that David does this. He is well acquainted with the valley of the shadow of death, right? Look at the other Psalms, riddled with language of doubt and fear and then faith in God. This is a man who understood his mortality and the reality that his enemies were always seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. He looked death in the face many times. 
David's the man who killed a lion and a bear as a young 15-year-old. He stood before Goliath and the Philistines. He was at the end of Saul's spear more times than he could count. Who lost an infant son. And who is betrayed by another son later in his years. Yet he continued to place his faith firmly in the promises of God, to deliver him from evil and to provide for him. These are the shepherd's staff and the shepherd's rod. They comforted David as many times as he faced the valley of the shadow of death. So side note here, let's look at what a staff is. We've probably all seen these images before. There's the shepherd's staff, longer, thinner, it's got a hook on it. The staff is used to pick sheep up out of the holes, out of that mud puddle that they find them in. It's used to lead the sheep, to guide them. It's used to separate them when they're having trouble getting along. And the rod, shorter, like a club, usually had like some kind of tassel, uh, wrapped around it so you wouldn't lose it from your wrist. The shepherd knew how to use the rod to, to fend off dogs, wolves, and other predators. Shepherds are skilled at throwing the rod and using it to strike. And so we look back at David's life and he says, God, you are my good shepherd and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many times did David experience the staff of the Lord guiding and leading him and directing him and the rod of God casting down his enemies before him. David knew how to worship in the valley of the shadow of death because of these promises. And oh, that we might do the same as we face the valley. One more side note here. We do not like to face the valley, do we? We would assume go around it. But I wanna ask you this morning, what if it's the valley where God teaches us about his assurance and his comfort? What if it's the valley where our faith is actually grown and fostered? There's another shepherd king who understands death and suffering. This is Jesus. Let's look at Isaiah 53 briefly. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus faced the valley of the shadow of death. But Jesus also offers us incredible hope and comfort as we face our enemies, as we face this valley where our enemies often lie. Listen to these verses, verses five and six. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup 
overflows. This is Jesus setting the table before our enemies with promises of comfort. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus has come, that they may have life and have it to the full. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. What would it look like to humble ourselves before our good shepherd right now? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're all facing the valley, right? But take heart. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. What comforting promises laid on the table before us and before our enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Perhaps David here was remembering the moment when Samuel visited and poured oil all over his head as a 15-year-old boy, signifying the blessing of the Lord and declaration that he would be the future king of Israel. It's a symbol and a sign. And what we know about David is he had to walk through a long valley of the shadow of death to see God's blessing fully carried out. When he says, my cup overflows, I have to believe that David is saying, my cup overflows, God, because your promises have stood firm. I remember when you anointed my head as a young man and look at all the things that I went through and look at how your promises have kept me. My cup overflows. God's promises kept comfort, comfort. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here, David is continuing to lean on the promises of God and is looking to eternal comfort of of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Just as David was plucked out of the fields and delivered from the caves to stand as king, he soon would move on from life on earth and life as a king to his eternal home goodness, and mercy for all time. Finally free from the shadow of death, living under the care of the King of Kings, Jesus. David would be able to say with even more assurance, and he's saying right now, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Friends, can you imagine that day when we stand before our Lord and our maker And we are fully delivered from want. It's hard to comprehend. No wanting. No wanting. Lacking nothing ever again. We will have it all. 
in the care of our good shepherd. Oh, what comfort and blessed assurance we have in our good shepherd, Jesus. As we close, maybe you're listening this morning and you're ready to place your life under the good, share, good care of the shepherd. Maybe you've never experienced living in comfort and assurance with Jesus. Or maybe you're just longing for assurance and comfort like David. You've been walking with Jesus, but when you look at these words, there's just a disconnect. Maybe today you're asking for rest or righteousness or peace or comfort, goodness and mercy. It's available. It's available in Jesus today. He is your good shepherd. Let's rest in his care. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for these words of Psalm 23. Thank you that we look to Jesus and we see provision, protection, and communion, relationship because of what you've done on the cross. Father, I pray for anybody in this room right now, anybody watching that has yet to put their care, put their trust in your care. I pray, God, that you would deliver them right now, that you'd open their eyes and open their hearts to see your saving faith. And if that's you this morning, you can be assured by simply saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you died for me. I trust that you are my good shepherd. I trust that you are alive. And someday I will get to spend all of eternity free of sin and death with you. Father, teach us to live in the assurance and comfort of your care as our good shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.